welcome to The Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. Our guest today on The Pet Show is the singer, songwriter, and Matchbox 20 frontman Rob Thomas. In an era of fractured musical tastes and the near collapse of anything resembling a rock music industry, it's hard to overstate the footprint Thomas has left as a songwriter and performer. In the pre-streaming era, especially in the latter half of the 90s, Thomas was the guy. Turning on the radio then meant hearing alternative rock radio, and Matchbox 20 was everywhere. All told, the band and Thomas have sold over 18 million albums. But if there's one thing you remember him for, it's the song Smooth which he penned for Santana in 2000. It sold nearly 12 million copies and was a ubiquitous presence on the radio and well everywhere. One of those summer jams that just keeps going and going and going. It earned him a Grammy for Song of the Year and the enmity of millions for whom the song became a kind of cursed earworm. Thomas is good natured about the song, though admitting he's sick of it as well. Nowadays, he performs with Matchbox 20 still and with his solo band, touring a few months a year, or at least he did pre-COVID. All of this, though, at least for the purposes of our show, is pretext for his amazing accomplishments as an animal rights activist and leader of his own foundation, Sidewalk Angels. Started in 2003, the New York-based Sidewalk Angels Foundation works as an umbrella organization of sorts, offering financial support and other resources to smaller groups that don't have the budget or organizational skills to expand their services. The group supports animal rescue organizations, as well as other causes, including childhood health and wellness and the fight against homelessness. They support close to 30 no-kill animal shelters and so much more. I caught up with Thomas in his Westchester, New York home following a massive tropical storm that had knocked out their power. His Pomeranian rescue Ollie was lying on his lap while his wife Marisol skulked in the background in her pajamas, not wanting to be on camera. I can't say enough about Rob Thomas. He's just a really good guy, and that extends to his work with animals or sitting down and talking with me. I hope you feel the same way. So without further ado, Rob Thomas, welcome to the Pet Show. Sounds like there's a lot of dog activity. How many dogs you got in the house right now? Uh, we have two. They're both rescues and both special needs. And one of them, you have a it's a it's a Pomeranian that you rescued from a puppy mill, and then you have one. Right. Yeah. We have we have one uh, Pomeranian who is a puppy mill rescue, and then we have uh, a re one of the the Puerto Rican dogs, the Satos from the from the beaches in Puerto Rico. It was uh, there's a, a place called the Sato Project that that does rescues and 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 spay and neuter stuff in the, in, on the island in this place called dead dog beach unfortunately in puerto rico and we were part of one of the first massive rescues our foundation sidewalk angels was part of one of the first massive rescues and in that our we found our guy uh ollie and we and we got him but they're all like if there's epilepsy and heart disease they're all special needs but uh, you know luckily they found us right i don't know a lot about that dead dog beach in this Santos dogs is that like a, a place where there's lots of stray dogs yeah it's just there's a, it's a lot of stray dogs and and they're you know the Sacha project is actually working with the government and the board of tourism to try and kind of change the attitude that people have there and, and I think just like you might find in China with like the meat festivals in China it's the younger generation have a different attitude towards animals than the older generation had and so you find that 
they're also trying to see that change happen as well. But as of right now, kind of like here in like up north, I'm in New York, so like up north in the mountains or down south, like where I'm from in South Carolina, there's just rampant animal abuse in a lot of those places. Right. A lot of the rural areas, you find that. And so uh, Puerto Rico has a lot of that going on as well. So it's really important, I think, there in a lot of the Caribbean places to try and, and get those rescues happening. And that's something that we've been doing as well. Now, your wife Marisol is, is Puerto Rican. So did you meet Ali when you went over there to, to, to uh, start this project? Like, how did that come about when, when you guys uh, got Ali? Well, yeah, no, actually, I mean, she's, uh, she is Puerto Rican and Spanish. So I think that, that okay. just in general, I think stuff that was going on uh, affected her Puerto side, you know, and made her and made her, you know, she was very interested. But I think it all just happened because we were, we had a foundation that was working with other with other organizations, helping them get off the ground and running, helping them get medical uh, facilities built, helping them get uh, sheds and stuff and 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 runs and um, and and you know working with homeless shelters that provide uh, shelter for people and their pets, uh, battered women's shelters that will take in women with their pets, just uh, all these kind of places that I think for us kind of understood you know uh, a lot of no kill shelters and places like that. And so this project, what they were doing with the Sancho project just really resonated with us and would have resonated with us in the same way with all the rescues that we did um, after the hurricanes in, in Houston or, or Katrina or any of those places, you know, as well. When it, you know, and then we had the giant hurricane in Puerto Rico as well. So we had uh, the, the Sancho project was already on the ground there. So that helped out a lot. And, we, and we've been doing a lot of, like literal mass rescues with us and other, and other organizations where Georgina Bloomberg will find a way to get a hold of a 737 and we can put 300 animals on it and rush them here and get them all to no-kill shelters. Is that something that happened? Like, did you- Yeah, it's happened a couple of times now, yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, what, how did that come about? Like, were you on a plane with 300 dogs? No, 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 we just, you know, we were one of the sponsors and we helped, you know, help get the funding and help them get that going. And then once they get here, help those animals find their way to the no-kill shelters where they need to go. It, it was just, it's an exciting thing. Like, we, we were watching the video in real time. And it was nice. I mean, you know, for us, we've been around for about 17 years, but we're still very grassroots in a lot of ways. And so to see our logo on the side of a plane, you know, with all these other organizations yeah, yeah, yeah. doing something kind of that massive, it, it felt pretty, it felt pretty good, I think. Well, tell me about Sidewalk Angels. Like you said, it's, it's uh, 17 years old now. What was the original impetus for you starting this foundation? Well, you know, 17 years ago, we would get off the road and we, we lived up here in Westchester and we would go up just because we wanted to spend some time with animals. We'd go to no-kill shelters just to volunteer our time. Meanwhile, the whole time that's going on, you know, because of what I do for a living, I had a lot, a lot of opportunities to help people with their foundations. You have a lot of people asking you to come play their shows or, or just find ways to, you know, to get awareness out there. And so I think for us, like finding a way that we could be the impetus of that change ourselves and find something that really mattered to us, but, but use the influence that we had for something that really mattered to us and not just, you know, piggybacking off of someone else's mission statement. And so it was a really good idea. And, and we started off really, really small, um, helping other grassroots organizations get off the ground. There's, uh, you know, medical care, proper medical care, low cost spay and neuter um, advocacy programs, you know, and with the, there's just kind of unprecedented natural disasters that are happening right now, yeah. COVID, yeah. all these things that are happening. So trying to step up and make sure that all these shelters can, you know, can continue to do the work that they do, that, you know, there are people that are, that are having problems being able to pay for medical care and being able to pay to take care of, pay to take care of their animals, trying to do those kind of things. It's really evolved into, you know, any way that we can possibly help. Oh, 
That's our lights. We we have no power, by the way. We haven't had power for like four days, so we're running. Oh, that's right. Here on the East Coast, I forgot. Yeah. So this is all um, you've got the this you're dealing with that storm. Yeah, that's why we don't. Uh, normally, I would have my uh, one of my boys, Ollie, right here with me, but he with the lights are flickering on and off, and the generators running outside, and they're cutting down trees over here. So he's hiding upstairs under a bed. He just can't deal with that. <laughs> it's, it's not working for him anymore. Did you guys get? A, did you lose a lot of trees? Hold on, what, baby? I know, and that's what we were, we were just talking about. Like, my wife, I hear this voice of God coming down from the stairs. She goes, who is our first Puerto Rican rescue? <laughs> and we're uh, just talking about that, baby. And, and yeah, I'm curious about Ollie. So, so you got him on the beach, and then how old is he now? He is 10, 11. And then he's 11 years old. We got him, he was probably, I think, four. Like, it's hard to tell exactly, but, but, uh, the vet, when we got him here, said probably about four months old. What's funny is we went, so we went to this place called Pets Alive in Middletown, New York, the shelter that, that we work with. We just wanted to go see the batch of the of all the Puerto Rican rescues that they had taken in. So we go there, and we had there was, yeah, that's what I, yeah, that's what I was saying. Tell her to come down. Tell her to come down. Yeah, no, she won't come on camera now because she's in her sweatpants and t-shirt. Oh, okay. We're not using the video. It, this is this is audio only. But yeah, okay. Oh really? Oh baby, this is audio only. If you want to come join. Anyway, so we, we went there and we kind of, you know, we're, we're thinking about maybe it was time to rescue. We had had our boy, um, so if I, I'll show you, there's a, there's a, a tattoo here of uh, Tyler, who was our first rescue and uh, uh, kind of our first, you know, love. Right. And we lost him. We lost him at like nine to cancer. And uh, so we were just ready, I think, to kind of let someone else, you know, back into our life. We had, we already, we had had another dog. We had already had Sammy and the two of them were together. So now when we lost Tyler... Sammy just kind of became despondent. He didn't want to eat anymore. He was really depressed all the time. Like he needed the companionship that he was kind of used to. Right. So right. we knew that it was probably time to start looking again. And we went there and there were all these puppies from uh, Puerto Rico and they were all playing and they were all, you know, spry and having a good time. And then I look over in the corner in the cage and it looked like I could hear Sarah McLaughlin singing in my ear. And it was like <laughs> an ASPCA commercial, you know, and he was just crouched in, inside. It said that he was anemic and that he wouldn't eat and that he was you know, despondent. And he was having all these problems. And so um, I took him out, and as soon as I picked him up, he just started licking my face. Oh, he my said that he hadn't done that. So I took him out for a walk, and then all of a sudden, I was walking the, his, his dog and our dog, and then he jumped down and started puppy, puppy bowing with our dog, and like wanted to play with him immediately. Oh, and so God. it just seemed like all very, very fitting. So now the two of them, if you go on, our, on my Instagram, on Rob Thomas or on the Sidewalk Angels Instagram, there's a lot of footage of them, and uh, you can just tell the, the closeness between them. Is, it's, kind of, it's kind of amazing. I mean, they, they need that companionship as well. You know, last week we talked to uh, W. Bruce Cameron, who wrote uh, the dogs, those dogs' purpose books. Oh, sure, yeah. And and the and the the movies, um, and he's big in the world of of rescue as well. And in his books, he talks about the invisible tug of the leash that unites dogs and their people, and that dogs are brought into our lives for a reason, and they find us, especially rescues, at specific moments when they need us. And then when we need them the most, vice versa. Do you find that that has been applicable in your life? That like certain dogs have found you at certain points in your life where you've been at an emotional crossroad? Yeah, you know, there is no video, Barry. You can come join us. Okay. But um, yes, you should let them know. It, look how Gingy found us. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, me. like, you know, like I said, I, I think there was a there was a physical palpable difference in our boy Sammy when he lost his companion Tyler you know that was his brother they were they were together all the time they were partners in crime and I thought and it's 
I didn't realize until I talked to other pet parents that it's a it's it's kind of rare sometimes. I mean, you know, to have that kind of closeness, even if they live in the same house, yeah. they get along, they understand each other. But if there's a pack pecking order and they kind of run like that, to see these two that like if one's outside and the other one's outside, the other one will stand and wait for the other one to come in so they can walk in together. You know, if one's asleep, the other one just comes in and nuzzles right on top of them. And they have to be touching when they sleep. Like it's a it's a it's a crazy closeness that they need. What baby? Yeah, and you know, my wife has, um, she has uh, immune disease and, and she has tick-borne diseases. And um, so she's had kind of these ongoing chronic health problems for the last decade or more. And sometimes she gets these neurological seizures and these storms that happen. And much like, you know, a, like a true seizure dog, our dog, Ollie, can sense them coming. Right, and comes and stays right. near her. And sometimes he'll start getting manic when she, right before she does and can start, can start <laughs> sensing that she's about to have a seizure and come over and just like start guarding her and kissing her That's and watching it. It's, it's kind of crazy. I think that, that, that there's an energetic connection. I mean, between all of us, there's an energetic yeah. connection between you and I, between humans and, and, and every living thing, you know, whether, whether they be sentient or not. But the idea that that living connection can, can be so apparent, you know, right in, in the real time. It's not, um, it's not, you know, something that's that's unquantifiable. It's it's right there. You can actually physically feel it and see it. Sometimes it's pretty amazing. Well, it's profound, especially with certain service animals that they can, you know, dogs can smell tumors. There's, you know, dogs can now smell COVID. I guess. Yeah, I was just reading the whole article about the dogs that the dogs that can they can tell COVID. I mean, those those things are kind of amazing. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And then. And like Bruce was talking about, how these dogs enter into our lives when we really need them the most. Obviously, the dogs need us as well, but they are also providing so much for us, either something physical and palpable, like, you know, uh, helping Marisol with their seizures or just the emotional support that you get while going through some type of trauma or, or, or you know, or other issues within your life. Yeah, I mean, you know, through Cyborg Angels, we found a, a, a few amazing things, and I'm sure a lot of them you know about, like uh, the prisons that are using animals to come in and, and the effect oh, that they have on some yeah. of the prisoners. And it's kind of just, you've watched these hardened criminals, you know, it just kind of melt away and, and, and all that stress and all that, you know, that, that worry. It also works with, there's a lot of organizations that are using animals to communicate with, with autistic children. Many instances where they're, they're, they're children with, with autism who are not very communicative, but the first time they've ever seen themselves come out of a shell and open up is with an animal and, they, and they'll communicate with them and they'll have this this uh, rapport with them that they will never have with, with humans. Those things I think are, you know, they, they happen for a reason. And I, and I, anybody who, who kind of questions the, the importance of the role in the life, you know, I think are, are definitely people who have never really experienced it. Yeah. Because I've seen, I mean, I've seen some of the hardened people, like it's a big thing on Reddit, um, the amount of like, you know, kids and they want to bring home a cat or they want to bring home a dog and the parents are just like no way no way no way and then you cut to it says like a week later and it's you know it's the the no way guy that's sitting on the couch you know you are my little boy you are my little boy always always yeah. always what was your first pet growing up we had a, a german shepherd named bigfoot <laughs> and uh and it was but it was eye-opening because i lived in south carolina in the deep deep south in lake city south carolina it's tobacco town and um and so even, you know, there, I was a much more sensitive kid than a lot of the, you know, the people growing up there. And so, you know, I think people's relationship with animals was not very evolved. 
especially right. you know in the in the late 70s early 80s in the deep deep south i found myself kind of you know being there to kind of try and help animals a lot more like it was something and then when i met my wife she grew up in queens in new york and she was the same way she was rescuing birds off the street she was always you know trying to help you know damaged animals and so that was just kind of it was wired in our dna before we ever met, met each other, really. Did you guys know that about each other when you met? That you, I mean, that must have come up very early in your relationship. Yeah, I mean, that you, you know, had this affinity for animals. When her and I met, we met for a very brief time. We met for like five or so minutes at a in Montreal, and then I got her number, and then I immediately had gone overseas. So we spent a month before we actually had our first date talking on the phone every night for hours and hours and hours. So we learned everything crucial about each other before we really had our first date. And that was something I think in one of the first conversations that we kind of talked about was that that connection that we have with animals and how much they meant to us. That's great. Uh, and then going back to that, uh, your dog Bigfoot. Now you were born in, in Germany. Were you a military kid then? Yeah, my dad. So my dad was in the army and he was out at Rammstein uh, base in law right. school. Yeah. And but when I was like, uh, I was only like six or seven months when we came back to Fort Jackson in South Carolina. My dad was there. My mom and dad were divorced. So he was in Fort Jackson, which is in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I was in Lake City, which is about an hour or so, uh, you know, east of there, closer to like Myrtle Beach. Right. And where did the dog and, and Bigfoot, how did he come to you guys? Did you get him from shelter? Like, or she just... I don't know. I mean, he was just there as, as long as I was a little kid, you know, sure. he was... But it was funny because, so we lived in, in this uh, very, like, again, it was a really rural area tobacco farm. My grandmother on, on the main road 301, she owned a store and we lived in the store. So it was like a, like a country store and then right, the house right. was attached to it. And so pretty much all of our customers were just uh, mostly the tobacco farmers. They would come in, you know, at lunchtime and they come in after work. And it was kind of like the social hub of this very, very Southern town. And so behind us, there was this long dirt road and that was kind of the, you know, the way to get everywhere. And I would literally, Sometimes like, I would have like, you know, a big wheel and I would get on my big wheel and I would start to ride it out past the gas pumps and, and it, past the gas pumps was literally just the highway. Right. And I would start to ride up towards the highway as a little kid and my dog would just come over and grab me by the back of my shirt <laughs> and pull me back into the yard. And he, I would go up and he'd pull me back in the yard. And then I would like go on these adventures, you know, down the road and he would just follow me wherever I would go. And so like it got to the point where I would go, you know, maybe a half a mile or a mile down the road to where my friend's house was. And he'd walk with me. And then as soon as I got to my friend's house, he'd turn around and walk himself back to, to our house and wait for me there. But he would have to like kind of protect me the whole way. German shepherds and Alsatians are incredible like that. My, well, now my ex-wife, her family, they, uh, they, they had an Alsatian. And when we, I mean, I mean, they worry a lot. When we would leave the house, it would pace the perimeter of their land in England until we came home. But they are incredible in the way that they bond with their family and, and, and yeah, you know, I find what's really funny is there's there's a few breeds that are like that. Every one of those breeds at some point has been villainized by yeah. by the media and by the public. You know, Dobermans, uh, German Shepherds, and more more lately Pit Bulls. You know, some of these dogs that were literally used as you know like nanny dogs. They were you know they were dogs that would sit and watch the children while the people went and yeah. worked in the fields. And and these are like these dogs that have been demonized. I think you know breed discrimination is another thing that Cyborg Angels is, is really working with, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, working in different um, different communities in different states, trying to change state laws. You know that actually 
are trying to euthanize dogs just based on their breed alone and not based on their background. And I'm, you know, most people understand that there's there's not really bad breeds. There's just, you know, bad owners that yeah, can can do anything bad. You know, you can take you can take a Chihuahua and turn him into an asshole if you treat him wrong. <laughs> Chihuahuas are kind of assholes. They really are assholes. <laughs> Now, now you left home pretty young though, like eighteen or nineteen. Did did the did did Bigfoot stay back in the, at the store? And then yeah, I mean, by the time so by that time I had lived in, like I had started to, like hitchhiking around the country and stuff when I was between fifteen, seventeen. By that time we had moved to to Florida. You know, I was already in high school, and Bigfoot had passed away. Because okay. Bigfoot was was my dog when I was really really young. Oh, okay, okay. And did you have more pets after that? Or only one. Pets? We had a family dog named Benji who was he looked like Benji. Right. You know, we remember <laughs> Benji. Now now I know I'm date I'm dating us, but That's all right. I mean Benji. those those Benji movies were formidable in my youth. A they they made me bald. Like they were really traumatic to me every yeah. time because Benji always disappeared in every yeah. movie. And he would go through some type of trying experience and and it would just destroy me. Like I, like my parents had to not let me watch those Benji movies because they were so traumatic yeah. for me. You know what else? You know what else did it to me was um, every year they would play Snoopy Come Home. Yes. When, when Snoopy left and tried to find his original owner, and I would I would just bawl. And then and for some reason they always backed it right up with Watership Down. Oh God. Which is the saddest cartoon ever made, ever. You know, there's a website now with trigger warnings called, I think it's called DoesTheDogDie.com. And it has like 6,000 movies in it. And it gives you a trigger warning if uh, the dog disappears or if the dog gets harmed or right. if there's some type of emotional narrative that can trigger sadness from the dog disappearing. Um, well, it's funny because you can see a movie now and like they could literally kill an infant, but then you're like, yeah, but they're not going to kill the dog. There's no way. Nobody's going to kill the dog. Or you get a movie like John Wick where, where Keanu Reeves' uh, entire narrative as a character for, for total and complete revenge spins upon the fact that uh, they killed his dog. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way it's really justified. You're only <laughs> allowed to kill a dog if you kill everybody else in the movie. That's the only way it could possibly ever be justified. A hundred percent. You know, speaking of dogs in 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 Hollywood, you know, there you know the there is the dog movie, which is like a classic trope from Old Yeller to Marley and Me to a dog's purpose. My wife had never heard of Old Yeller, by the way, and I had to explain it to her. Oh, it sounds terrible. Yes, <laughs> it, it destroys it, you. It's horrible. No, it's it literally you grow oh, up as terrible. soon as the movie. You grow up in an hour and a half if you're a kid. And you watch that movie. You know, for me, and this is like off but on topic is I ever since I went through it in real life I cannot watch uh euthanasia on in a movie like I there was a, a movie that I once saw where they you know where they showed the process and because going through it it's one of the saddest things I've ever gone yeah. through in my life you know uh, and I mean you know and, and and I mean it like a humane euthanasia yeah, yeah, when it's yeah. when it's the only possible you know scenario but I think that is my trigger I need to know if that's going to happen in a film because I can't I can't be around it is there an equivalent to those movies in songwriting? Are there classic songs about boys and their dogs or dogs in general? Uh, oh, wow. You. 
Well, I mean, I have I write songs all the time, but that's not yeah, but really the same have, thing. But you know what I'm talking like you about. Have, well, you know, like I wrote a song called Little Wonders. It was in a movie called Meet the Robinsons. Right, right. Uh, for, for the Disney movie. And that I wrote about my dog. I wrote about kind of uh, his, the way that I, I, I understand that he understands these small moments and their importance a lot better than I do sometimes. You know, and then especially once he was gone and the fact that I didn't have those little moments anymore that I took for granted, I realized that he really appreciated them. You know, we were walking, his, that was exciting. That was the best thing in the world for us to be walking. If we were yeah, hanging out yeah, together, yeah. we were hanging out together, that was the greatest thing in the world. Um, the first thing that came to mind for me, I was thinking was, do you remember Elvis Presley's first uh, pressed recording that he did for his mom, Old Shep? Oh, Old Shep? Yeah. I don't know the song, but is that, and, and that's based on one of his dogs? It's, uh, yeah, Old Shep had a real good, Old Shep had a real good home. And that, I think that was supposed to be, you know, as the lore tells it, the, he went, you know, into one of those booths to press a 45 for his mama. And, and that was what he did. He did Old Shep. And that was the, what, what they heard at Sun Records. And like, it was, a, or that's what Colonel Tom Parker heard. Like, you know, it's, it, but it all kind of centered around Old Shep. I mean, there must be within country music and then also within blues, because you're talking about people who grew up rurally. So dogs must have played, a, you know, uh, I'm trying to think if there's Johnny Cash that sang about dogs, but I was just interested as you usually. Know, I mean, I, usually they're bad connotations, right? You're a dog in the doghouse, and you're yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what about what about that? Uh, there's a there's a beautiful, beautiful ballad called "Who Let the Dogs Out." Have you heard that one? It's amazing. <laughs> By the Baja Men. Yes, I, I cry every oh, time. I cry every time because you know, at the end of the song, I still don't know. I don't know who, you're like, who, yeah. who literally let the dogs out. Yeah, it's a mystery, a sad mystery. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ever tour with your dogs? Like, I, I all the time. Because I read a People magazine interview from forever ago where you're talking about how Sammy used to love the tour bus. He'd get really they get, Tyler was the co captain. So, our first dog, Tyler, we'd go to bed at night and go back to the room to go to sleep. He would sleep in the jump seat next to the driver and stay up there the entire night until you know we get to where we're going. And then as soon as we get to our destination, he would jump down and go back to sleep and, and jump back in the bed in the back of the bus. Um, our dogs now, when the bus pulls up to our front yard, the dogs start freaking out. They get so excited and they jump on the bus and they run up and down. You know, they they're just they're road dogs for real. Like they really, they really do love it. I was I once did a I was <laughs> there was an article in Rolling Stone about Matchbox. And we spent like a few days doing uh, interviews and, and the guys, you know, and everybody doing photos. And when, it, when the article came out, it was just one picture and it was me and my dogs in the bus laying down with my dogs. So then from that point on, all the Matchbox 20 guys is called Rolling Stone Dog Fancy Magazine. They're like, oh, dog fancy? Yeah. They're just very cool. You know, and it happens like on Instagram. I could post a picture, a video of me and Stevie Wonder playing together and people are like, oh, that's nice. But I take a picture of my dog, you know, going like this, and it's like three hundred thousand likes. Oh, people go crazy over yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, how do you do? You choose your bandmates now based on whether or not they get along with the dogs. Like, does everybody have <laughs> dogs? No, I can't choose my bandmates anymore. They because they're Matchbox Twenty is Matchbox Twenty. Right, and right. My, and my solo band has been my solo band since two thousand five. Right. So it's the right. same. They're the same guys. But, uh, but also, like, nobody's on our bus except for me and my wife and our assistant and our dogs. Uh, so good. the idea is just stay, just don't touch our dogs. Stay away from them, and then you're fine. Now, do, they, do you have to condition them for road life? Like, is there, like, was there any, 
Was there any work you had to do to get them ready for the tour bus? You know, not really. It's there's is a couple day period I think of them realizing. You know, like our dogs live, you know, in this house and, and they, they have the run of the house. And so all day they have little routines. They move to this room and they move, it follows the sun, you know, and goes around to see what's happening in different rooms. So it takes him a couple days to realize that like he goes to the front of the bus and the back of the bus. Then he goes to the front of the bus and the back of the bus. And after a couple of days, he's like, oh shit, this is it. This all right. is it. And, then he, and then he kind of understands and then he figures out, okay, this is where I hang out during this time of day. And this is where I hang out during this time of the day. And then sometimes he goes into the bunks. But they, yeah, they, they take little walks around the venue and then, you know, they do love on days off, you know, because dogs love, they live by smells and new smells and new experiences. Yeah, yeah. So every day off, you know, we're in a new city. There's new, there's new smells, there's new activity, you know, so we can, we can take them out around town and so they can get out and kind of see stuff. And I, I, I think the, stadium, the smells of a stadium though, that must have been like super smells. Like did, yeah, you know, did they ever run on stage? Yeah, they used to, they come on stage all the time um our first dog was like fearless and he would literally like during oh, the he show would go on stage. yeah he would just come like i would just be in the middle of the show and, and my wife would just let him go and i'd see him just kind of roaming across the stage and then people clapped um lose it. <laughs> when we were doing a lot of these outdoor shows you know our bus is kind of parked to the left somewhere you know outside of the the stage but you can hear the entire show from the bus and it got to the point where one of our boys would know what the last song was because as soon as he would start, he knew that after that song, I would be running straight onto the bus. And so he would hear that song and know, even if he's dead asleep, he would just perk up and then all of a sudden start getting really crazy excited. And then oh, run and wait by the door. And he knew that that song meant that I was coming on the bus and that we were going to be leaving. That's incredible. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, we, they, have, we have, they have special diets and we have to cook for them. So we have a little kitchen on the bus so we can make their meals and prepare their meals and stuff. What are they eating? I mean, these guys, you know, these guys are, they run they our have, life. They have medications five times a day. Wow. They wake up, they get them at lunchtime, they get them at 3.30, they get them at dinner time, and they get them at nighttime. And each each time it's like four or five pills. They get eye drops three times a day. Um, they've got, you know, a vet every other week because every specialist. They've, they've got specialists. They've got, you know, um, oncologists. oncologists for their cancer. They've got cardiologists for their heart disease. They've got neurologists for their epilepsy. Um, it's just, a, it's a crazy amount of effort that goes into these guys. And they literally are way more effort than my human child ever was, or the, any of my friend's human children really are. <laughs> you know, at some point after, you know, five or six, you can go, okay, go brush your teeth. You know? Right, right. <laughs> exactly. You know, there, there is there. some self-determination going on, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but, you know, these guys are, they require, like, what, it's funny too, like one of them, a, a while ago, he, he, his eye, the inside of his eye exploded. So we actually had to get him to Toronto, this one vet who's the only vet who does this operation. And he lost the sight in his eye, but he kept his eye. And then a couple of years later, the other dog, the same eye, got cancer in that eye, and we had to remove that eye. So he's kind of just gone. Is and that then, vet, Dr. Sue, cancer vet? Uh, we knew her before that, actually. Okay. Um, we knew her because her husband was is, a, is an amazing uh, uh, intern, and Dr. Sue uh, took over when you know when we had to deal with cancer and because she's like the the queen of cancer in the best possible way right. um yeah it's it's funny there's a, there's just a lot of uh, there's a lot of effort and you kind of feel like you know you say that they find you when they find you and i think there's a lot of effort th that goes into it. and i think maybe if they had found someone else that didn't have the means exactly. i mean it gets it gets crazy expensive um yeah and, and you got to be able to have that kind of time and luckily you know we we can have a little bit of both and so 
Yeah, and so Sidewalk Angels, we've been working with also in places like the Brody Foundation as well to try and be able to help individual people, you know, that are, that are going through. Like we as a, as a foundation are set up to help other organizations. We can't help individual people, but right. we are working with, with other organizations that are set up to be able to help individual people so that they can help get their, the, you know, these, these medical bills paid or just help them, you know, get, get through to the next month, you know, while they're going through these hard times. Besides the various medical treatments for your dogs, you know, you, uh, what's the most expensive thing you've ever purchased for your dogs besides medical like 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 you ever, oh. like you ever put them on a private plane like yeah yeah i was about to say like we don't fly private but our dogs fly private so like if we were going somewhere and we have to have our dogs with us we f- will fly them private we'll, we'll take a, a small private jet and and bring the dogs back and forth if i'm flying by myself I, i'll fly commercial but if we're taking the dogs th- then we get a private jet but you know what we do is I do well, every now and then I'll just do, you know, a certain amount of corporate gigs and then the certain amount of that money, we just put it aside and we know that that's going to go to the puppy plane and that we have it there. It's kind of like, it's kind of like found money. I go and I do, you know, I sing for my supper, make a little extra money, put it aside. I know that I've got some plane money. Do you have special stuff written into the rider for the dogs? No, no. I mean, the only thing was once it was a really long flight and he peed on the plane and we felt really, really bad because <laughs> he peed on the plane and it's just kind of like we just trickle all the way down. And they, you know, they, they're, they, they're super potty trained, obviously, after all this time. They like they don't have a schedule. They just we're sitting here and one of them will just get up and start walking to the door. And then we know it's that they want to go out. Do the dogs in your house, do they are they bed sleepers or are they? Yeah, are they in their own bed? I'm just curious how much they rule the roost in. in no, they, it's in their home. bed. I mean, they. I. Not only is it, is it their bed, and we sleep all the four of us, kind of like all entangled together, but most nights on the couch, it's my wife, our dog Sammy, our dog Ollie, and <laughs> me sitting on the floor, in front of Ollie, because Ollie wants me to be sitting with him, but he doesn't want me on the couch. He takes the couch up because he, he's you know he he's about this big. But he lays like this. Yeah, he lays like uh, stretched across. Hey, come here, buddy. Hold on, Sammy just woke up. Hey, Sammy. Oh, oh wow, he's cute. Hey, buddy. Oh, don't be shy. Scared. Oh, he's good kisses. He's getting um. It's really weird. His nose and his lips and around his eyes are are starting to get like tan colored with they were, they were always black, but it's this, uh, this oral chemo that he's on for his cancer, his liver cancer. Oh, dear. And so we have him on this pump palladia, which is this oral chemo. And, and that's one of the effects of it. The poor little guy, it starts to make it like, you can even see like his nose is pink. Oh it's yeah. Yeah. Like lighter. So it happens in like a week. After I get off uh, with you, I'm about, I'm going to get on the phone with, uh, on the zoom with a rabbi. Um, cause we're doing a segment on what's called bark mitzvahs and, and it's a new thing and not a new thing. It's been, uh, you know, basically people are starting to bar mitzvah their dogs, uh, you know, within the Jewish tradition. Curious as a dog owner, uh, with means, have you thrown any special ceremonies for your dog or have you attended someone else's bark mitzvah? We, we throw our boys, like if we're on the road, we, you know, we, th- we, we buy some balloons and, and, you know, and we make some fun of it and the whole band you know gets together and we all have, you know, we'll have, you know, like a birthday party, but it's not a, I don't think I've been to an extravagant. I did. I just recently did a, um, a, uh, 
recorded a live video for a cat funeral. I don't know if that counts. No, tell me. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely what we're talking about. A um, cat funeral. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, a the Marlon, Marlon the cat, who is a, we, we met through social media. You know, they had some um, following. Okay. Doesn't, does a lot, his mother did a lot of work as well. Right. And so when, when Marlon passed away, we, uh, she asked if I would, when they were, they were, and, and they actually, which is weird, they did a, you know, this was like last week, they did an in-person memorial, which I thought was crazy. Well, they did that I, for I Little, I don't they do anything that, in person. They did that for Little Bob too, which is another one of those famous cats. Oh, yeah. He had like so three remember, million. I remember uh, Buddy and Boo? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. When Boo passed away, and uh, we love, and Smushy the cat is our friend. We have a lot of like of, of online animals as our friend. Also, you know, it's funny. People like uh, Garth Stein, you know, he wrote The Art of Racing in the Rain. Yes. Him and I um, gravitated towards each other. And uh, Stephen Rowley, who wrote uh, Lily and the Octopus. They're right. actually turning that into a movie. They're, they're making the movie now. But that was a weird scenario, too, because that was about, you know, a dog who found a cancer on the eye. And they had to, and the, the, he imagined the cancer as an octopus that had taken over Lily's face. Uh, and okay. Lily was this, is a little dachshund. And what's really weird is, I'm reading that book, and the same time I'm reading that book, I remember I was actually on the bus, headed out to Coney Island to play a show while my boy was headed to the hospital to have his eye removed because of a tumor while I'm reading this book about a dog having this tumor removed. It was all very surreal and meta, that whole timing. Yeah, so my last question, interested to know, you know, we talk a lot about the dog-cat divide here on, on the show, which is, you know, the difference between dog people and cat people. Where do you fall on that spectrum in terms of being, a, I mean, you're obviously, you're not anti-cat, but you know, where do you fall on the dog-cat divide? And what do you think makes a dog person versus a cat person? Listen, I, I don't have, yeah, I mean, I am a giant dog person, but I'm a giant animal person. Right. You know what I mean? And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I love, I have, I have my fair share of actual intimate um, acquaintances with, with with cats, but you know, and this, and I, I think this is something that, that to be said positive for the, for the cat nation, which <laughs> is that there is a, I think, a level of trust and acceptance of you, uh, regardless and unconditionally, that your dog will have that your cat will not, and I think that there are certain things that your dog is willing to put up with that your cat is not, and I think that there's, you know, if you accidentally you're walking and you trip on your dog he's going to yelp and then he's going to come run over and lick your face. Yeah. And if you actually trip on your cat, your cat's going to just literally look at you with a death look. And then <laughs> you might not see it for another three days, you know, give you Satan eyes. Now you don't hear about a lot of rock stars with cats. You got to, you know, out, out at the outer rock star with cats for me. Who's someone that I don't know about who's got cats. I don't, you know, I don't know any, <laughs> Um, Mark, you know, Mark Maron, the comedian, is always talking about his cats and his love of his cats. So is um, Robert Downey Jr. is obsessed with his cats. Oh, he's he a has cat two cat. cats. That's right. Yeah, Maron's cat of 16 years just passed away, poor fellow. Yeah, I mean, and that he. Oh, and uh, Ricky Gervais just lost his cat Ollie. That was very. Um, that was like the love of his life. It's interesting. It's comedians with cats. comedians and cats. Comedians and cats. We'll leave it at that. I want to take the time right now to thank Rob Thomas for appearing on The Pet Show. And uh, stay tuned till next week. The Pet Show is brought to you by Audio Up Media.
It's written and produced and hosted by me, Jimmy Jalinek, and co-hosted by Dennis Quaid. Executive producers are Jared Gustat and Dennis Quaid. Editor is Bill Marks. And our associate producer is Emma Rapold. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot.